0: If you have a Bible, Matthew 23, verse 27. I'm doing a simple three-part series. I call it, Don't Let Your Past Rob Your Future. Real simple, but boy, a lot of folks need to get a hold of it and do it. Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs that indeed look beautiful outwardly, But inside, you're just full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. No matter how good something looks in the past, if it's dead, it's dead. It's still got no—you can paint the tomb, you can put flowers on it, but it's not coming back. It's dead. And Jesus is referring to building monuments to the past. He's referring to the religious custom of creating shrines— and investing energy, time, and money into preserving what was, but now dead. They would paint tombs. They would manicure them. In fact, they would make more out of them than they really were. So they would be creating monuments to to something old and something dead. They would try to pump life into it. They would try to preserve it, to memorialize a certain time, a certain era of time some experience in the past, or even a person. And that person's now gone, or that person is deceased. They're not coming back. God wants you to get on with your life. I hear, you know, well, in my day, Rick, well, this ain't your day. It's not my day either. But it's today, as the day the Lord has made, we'll rejoice and be glad in it. I don't live in a culture today that I grew up in. Church culture is not the one I grew up in. It's totally different. So you can either curse the darkness or you can strike a match. You can be a light or you can just be a big old dark spot in somebody's life. You have to realize times keep changing. Truth never changes, but the culture, attitudes of people change all the time. Everything around me is not like it was when I grew up. And I'm in a different season of life. Well, I remember when I could run. Well, it's just a memory and it's not coming back. You can't run from anything. So relax and enjoy the season you're in. I mean, I'm in the third trimester of my life. I'm not going to sit around and say, I wish I was 32 again. I'm enjoying the season I'm in. I'm going to suck all the life I can. It's good to be above ground, it's good to be alive. I enjoy that. I'm not. 32 anymore. i still got some testosterone. I still, I still have dreams and visions and hopes, but I have to enjoy the season I'm in. That's just simple. You can't go back, but you can, you can fix the present, and you can rewrite the future. You can script it to fit your life. It's real easy to get stuck somewhere in time. People do it. Families do it. Churches do it. You can walk in, and it's like you walked into a time warp. Whoa. I just walked into Jurassic Park. They, this looks like 1948, and they're still singing the same songs. And if 1948 ever comes back, they're ready. But it's not coming back. And I'm telling parents and everybody and church members, you've got to adapt to the day we live in. It's not that hard. If you look around you today, you might just want to swing your eyeballs, not your body. You can tell on each other where they got stuck. Maybe something very unimportant like fashion, hairstyle, clothing. You know, you look around and say, hmm, that's a good 1958. That's a good 60's style. But how many of you know, you ladies above all, above men know, fashion has changed radically. And now you—you know, when I grew up, we didn't have skinny jeans. We didn't have words like metrosexual, means you understand fashion and all the good things, and yet you're still a male. Words hipster, we didn't have hipsters. We didn't have millenniums. it, It was it was pretty simple in my day. About the only thing you could do bad was either get drunk on beer, get in a fight, or get pregnant. That's about it. It was a it was a slow lifestyle in my generation. Everything closed at 11 o'clock. Am I telling the truth, some of you older people? yeah. Well, we don't live in that generation anymore, so shut up talking about it. It's not going to come back. I like the one I'm in right now. So, our human tendency is to get stuck and make something more intense and bigger about it than we ought to. I mean, some people still are voting eight-track tape players are still the best-sounding stereo. You know, and today people pull off iTunes. You get the best quality in the world. And some of you still holding on to an 8-track or some old cassette where the tape is already stretched. It's, it's not going to come back. You know, flip phones aren't coming back. And I know I've seen two of them in this church, two of them. We need to upgrade you. You're just slightly below wax string and a tin can. That's about where you are. Mama, get him a phone. But human nature is to get stuck on something and make a bigger deal out of it than it should. When you glorify the past by giving it excessive attention, it actually restrains and hurts your future. In this auditorium this morning are a variety of experiences, both good and bad. And the only thing those experiences have in common is they're both past, good and bad. So learn this. There is no future in your past. It's dead. It's gone. And all over this building today are those good memories. You can take a good memory forward into your future, but you're going to have to learn to let the bad ones go. They are all in the past. Some of you ladies remember the young man that swept you off your feet. He was looking good. He bought you flowers, sent notes. But be careful. Those good memories 40 years ago will cause you to want to trade him in today. What happened to that sweet, thoughtful person? Why, you remember when he'd take off his coat, throw it down on a mud puddle so you could walk across. Now, he just says, jump it, baby. They say when a man opens a door for a woman, you know he either got a new car or a new wife. (laughs) Yes, But if that memory is something that you dwell on today, it will frustrate you with the present and limit the good thing God wants to do for you now. So others of you have got negative experiences in your past, and you're determined not to relive them. So much so, you've made up your mind, so much you're going to focus with intense energy and labor, you're never going to let that happen again. And all that excessive energy and excessive attention you're putting into it not happening again is actually bringing tension and anxiety into your present life. You had a bad relationship, and you're determined you're not going to have it again, and you don't even know it, but you're putting off such vibes, it ruins the potential of a good relationship and a new relationship today. You don't mean to do that, but you're doing that because your walls are still up, and you, you, you know, you're still sharp as a razor, and it tends to push people away rather than draw them to you. So, some of you are determined your new wife's not going to do to you what your past wife did. And you'll keep on reminding her of that. But you know what? She's tired of hearing about your past wife. And that's not who she is. And she doesn't want to hear about your mother either. And if you're not careful, your past that you keep bringing up is going to wreck your future. Don't do that. See, that was then. This is now. Learn to live in in today. I can't live in tomorrow. I can't live in the past, but I can live right now. And I can live bold, and I can live big, and so can you. That was your former husband. That was your former wife. Well, I won't trust another man again. You picked one sorry dog out of the whole pack, and now you're going to throw the whole pack away. Or one bad woman, and you throw all women away. Nonsense. There's a good woman out there, and there's a good man out there. Slow down. Don't let your past rob your future and just be an old man-hater or a woman-hater, and nobody want to be around you and near you when you could have a good family and a good relationship. You've got to learn to move beyond that. You know, I don't talk about it much because I'm in my seventies, but you know, when I was eighteen years old and, and married, I became a Christian. And my wife in the rock and roll business said, if you become a Christian, I'll divorce you. I became a Christian. She did divorce me by mail. And, and, and I remember I thought, well, I'm going to go on and live as big as I can and see what God has for me. So, I met Cindy in church years later, and uh, this month we celebrate 41 years of marriage. And I want to I wanna say to that past memorial, if you could see me now, yeah. eat your heart out. You should have stuck with me, baby. Somebody else got your inheritance. That's right. She chair, you think, well, if he leaves me, I'll die. Well, where are all the bodies? No, you're not gonna die, you're gonna live, and you're gonna live better. God's a God of another chance, and you, maybe you messed up. Maybe you made a bad choice. Maybe it was your fault. I don't know, but it's past. It's not coming back. Cut it off, let it go. Don't keep looking back. I'm a good cutter-offer. If you you know, whatever it is, bad or whatever, if it's gone, it's gone. i remember it no more. Get like God. He says, I'll remember your sin and your iniquity no more. Get a good amnesia. Get a little spiritual Alzheimer's. I don't remember a little spiritual dementia. I'm serious. because You know, I, don't you just don't want to have to keep coming up to you after your fifth year and somebody died or somebody divorced you and, you, and you have to keep saying, how are you doing, darling? After five years, you ought to be doing great. you say, I'm doing great. I'm rocking on. God's good. Got a few prospects. I don't know. Enjoying this hobby, or I'm enjoying this career in my life, enjoying some freedom that I now have. It's a good day. It's a good life. That's where you ought to be now. You can mourn for a little bit. God let Israel mourn 30 days for Moses, and that was it. No more tears. No more Kleenex. Stop it. You're like somebody going over to the cemetery, and their whole life is hugging a tombstone. And I thought, why don't you just dig up the corpse and bring it home? That's sick. God has a promise in 1 Corinthians 15. He takes away to establish. He took away the old man, that's Adam, to establish the new man, that's Christ. He took away the old covenant to establish the new covenant, a new and better covenant with better promises. Every time God takes away, whatever He establishes is better. Now, if you don't let go of the past, He can't bring you a great future. And He says, I have plans for you to do you good, not evil, but I can't help you till you let go of that tombstone. Let go of what was and embrace what is. It's a new day. It's a new opportunity. I'm sorry you were hurt. I'm sorry somebody did you wrong. Truly I am. I'm really sorry. But that's not going to get you better. You've got to let go of it and say, okay, I enjoyed that season. I wish I still had it. I don't have it. I had money. The the recession destroyed the company and business. I'm not where I was. I had to give up the house. I had to do this. Fine. Now, adjust yourself to where you are. You're still smart. You still have wisdom. You still have skill. Start using that to reacquire. God says, a thief will restore sevenfold. Now, give him some—don't give him four minutes. Give him some time. And get out there and hustle. Get out there and put yourself to work. Use your skill, your wisdom. God's for you. He's got good plans for you. Don't you give up. I'm not putting my whole hope in a person. I'm not going to put my whole hope in a job or in a 401k or a gated community because all that stuff's temporal. You can, you know, maybe you're hot right now. Well, okay, baby. Put on that little thong bikini when you're 75. Let's see what you look like in that thing. Let's see how hot you are now. Second, just on second thought, don't do that. Scare everybody. So, some of you could enjoy a new church if you could get that old one out of you. You know, if you ever moved to a new city and God transfers you appropriately, that's a good thing. But when you move into that church, don't compare it to your old church. Do that pastor and the people a wonderful favor. Be thankful for this new thing. Learn some new things. Bring what you've learned into it to add flavor, and zip, and a little pizzazz to it, and creativity. Be a help. Don't just keep comparing it, well, at our old church we did this, and nobody in that church, the new one, wants to hear about your old one. Nobody does. So, adapt to a new one. It's going to be different. It's always different. And so, accept that. Don't compare. Even Paul says, if you compare yourself to other people, you're not wise. God made you unique and distinct, and each church is distinct and different. So just celebrate it. We're not, all churches aren't cloned. God does not domesticate you. He transforms you. He conforms you to His image, but He doesn't conform you on a political ideology or conform you to a dress code or conform you to some style. God doesn't do that. He made you unique and individual. Celebrate that. Diversity is a good thing. Division is a bad thing, right? If you start looking back, the past is always going to look better than it was. And I'm telling you, it wasn't as good as you memorialized it to be. And you're making a shrine out of it. Some of you have been here 10 months. Some of you maybe 10 years. And if someone dares mention you ought to get involved in some group or small group or some area to contribute to the body of Christ, you're quick to let them know you used to be involved in some church. But this happened, and that happened, and somebody offended you, and you didn't like what they did or what they said, and now you're not going to get involved anywhere anymore. Well, then just stay stuck. You dug the ditch, get in it. See, the blessing of God and the freshness of God is waiting for you when you make up your mind to leave the past in the past. All of us have some bad memories. All of us have had bad experiences. All of us have had some good ones, and even those are in the past. So you've got to learn to celebrate what's going on now. It's not coming back. So whether good or bad, don't dwell on it. You know, the success of the past will be your biggest enemy for being creative today. Yeah. Well, I remember back in uh, 20 years ago, and God used to do this, or we used to do that. Well, that was 20 years ago. That's not today. God's always up to doing something new. Listen to Isaiah 43, verse 18. Don't remember the former things. Don't consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. God tells us, don't dwell on the past. Who was that guy? If you go back to the 30s, I don't go back that far. But Rudy Valley was a hot singer for the girls. And Rudy Valley sang with a megaphone. Try that today. Can you see Beyoncé with a megaphone? (laughs) Or there were superstars in the silent movies. And when sound came out, they had such a terrible voice, they fell off the map. The technology keeps changing. The style keeps changing. And if you can't adapt to the talkies, they call them the movies that talk, well, you're out of a job. You'll be like T-Rex, Jurassic Park. It's a creature that didn't make the transition. And churches are filled with T-Rexes. Ooh, they didn't make it, did they? No, They're stuck in the 50s. Stuck in the 40s. Ephesians 7, Ecclesiastes, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 10. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? It's not wise to ask such questions. Another translation says, don't long for the good old days. For you don't know whether they were any better than today." I hope you can hear that with your heart, not just with your ears. All of us can look at memories and say, man, that was so good. That was so better. And you can memorialize it and make more out of it than life. And so, you can talk about it, emphasize it, worship at it, and build a shrine to it. But God says, don't ask, why were the former days any better? Don't go there. If you do, it'll mess up your present. You know, when you make preserving the past more important than experiencing the present, it hurts your future. Be thankful for your heritage, whatever it may be. But don't see yourself responsible for for preserving old-time religion. A lot of older people will say, I want to go back to that old-time religion. Okay, Sparky, how far back do you want to go? See, you don't ever say, do you? You want to go back? I mean, the disciples rode donkeys. You want to go there? Uh, back under the law, women had to stay outside the city limits during that time of the month. Want to go there? That might be a good idea. Uh, they had no electricity, air conditioning, plumbing. Women had no rights. Women wore veils. So you really want to go back to that old-time religion? I don't want to go back to anything. Not an old girlfriend, not an old spouse, not an old church, not an old time. When we started Summit, we had babies on blankets. We had no nursery program. We didn't have anything. We just started. It was chaotic. We had people show up with tambourines to play during the worship. Tambourines! That's got to be out of the 50s, right, or 60s. I don't, then we had a few people come in with banners and run around the church. It was I was sitting there thinking, this would embarrass a mule. It is so bad. I don't want to go back there. I'm loving today. It's better. It's always better. The future's brighter. It's better. More opportunity. Don't memorialize the past. Thank God for it. It was a place, but that's what we've moved on, and hopefully a good move on. So our responsibility is not to preserve the previous generation's traditions. I don't care if they wore a choir robe or they're in jeans. The Bible has nothing to say about it. Nothing. They didn't have have changed wardrobes in the New Testament. They didn't have coats and ties in the New Testament. They didn't have a Hammond B3 organ. They'd have played it if they did, but they didn't have it. Right? We get so silly. I mean, a lot of technology today did not exist. Do you think Jesus would have used a microphone when He spoke to 5,000 people if He'd have had one? Now He got in a boat, bounced His voice off the water. That was the technology of the day. He rode a donkey. But don't you think if somebody had a corporate jet, he'd have jumped on it? I mean, I, lo- I love you, legalist. I love you because I just want to get in your face and eat your lunch, because this is not Scripture. You can't build a monument on tradition unless it's Bible-clear, and if it's clear Bible Boom! You can drive a stake on it. But because you like a style or, well, I, I got saved in 1961, and that was the music we sang, and I like it better. That's just because that's what was playing when you came in. But the music keeps changing. God says this in Scripture, sing a new song to the Lord. I think even God gets tired of hearing an old one. I can almost hear Him saying, for God, for my sake, please sing a new song, would you? I am tired of hearing that song. You're not 400 years old. Update this thing. And all the songs of the, of the European church back on uh, uh, Luther, he wrote, A mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. Not exactly a and song. But in that Victorian culture, that was hair-raising edgy. Because they all they had were Vatican chants. Ay, 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 ay. Isn't that great? That'll draw a crowd. Woo. I'm, and so, where did he get the song? At the beer pub. That was the song they sang, but not Fortress is Our God, but the tune. He just put Christian lyrics to the tune. And people will—google t- it for crying out loud. Update your brain. You can, God doesn't say what the tune—what style it has to be. Just, you can glorify God with different kinds of music. We don't know David wrote the Psalms, they're, they're songs. And we know he played a stringed instrument and a harp or a guitar. But you don't know if it was a 4 4 beat, a 3 4 beat, because scripture doesn't say. So quit saying it's the devil's music. You know, you, folks. I am, I'm not a good. I'm just just not a good uh, company uh, religious man because I just think somebody buried your brain. What? What? How can you say that when there's no scripture for that? God leaves it up to you. So relax. Well, I don't like it. Well, fine. Go where they sing a Vatican chant. Go ahead. Die with the rest of them. Get you a. Get you. A, go to a mortuary somewhere. It's quiet there. Is anybody with me on this? Okay. Our responsibility is not to preserve the previous generation's tradition. Truth, yes. Tradition, no. But rather to assure the gospel's relevance to every generation. And it reaches them right where they are. My parents didn't listen to my music. I don't listen to my kids' music. I don't listen to my hipster's music. But I celebrate all of them. If they're loving Jesus and serving Jesus, I'm in, whether it's my preference or not. I want to make it available because I want to reach every person I can with the gospel. Our children don't have to accept the methods and packaging of grandmother's religion. Stop trying to put that on them. I think a lot of teenagers would be much more open to God and coming to church if you weren't trying to give them that old-time packaging. Well, if your grandfather were here today, Ricky, here's what he would say about that. Well, grandmother, he's not here today. He's dead. And you need to be more interested in reaching your children where they are, not where grandfather was. Okay? You don't have to do it that way. When 911 occurred, and then we had the shoe bomber and the underwear bomber, it changed security. All you folks like me that fly, what a nightmare. And I remember a business guy in front of me. I told you this several years ago. He said, man, I'll be glad when we get back to normal. And I says, welcome to the new normal. This is now normal. And it only gotten worse. When I go through TSA, I do a magic mic strip. I don't want nothing going off because I know what's coming. More delay. Get out of the line. Get a pat down. Open your bag. I just strip to go through there, (laughs) because it's the normal. And I don't want to argue with them, and I don't want — because they've got the power and authority, and I don't. I can be right, but I'm still going to lose, right? So I just go with the flow, and that's the new normal. I understand. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it, but I've got to pay the price for it, so I'm just going to have a good attitude. My wife is better at this than me when it comes to the attitude. Because a, a couple of years ago, I was here. They, they pulled me out for a checkup, and a, they call it a random check, meaning I hadn't do anything wrong. It's just… you, That's Huh? <laughs> well, I'm guilty always. I know that. But, and I kept hearing my wife's voice now, just shut up, be nice. You can argue. You're right. On your, you can make a point, but you're not going to make any difference. Yeah. And I kept my mouth shut. I smiled. They took everything from me. Then they did a frisk. Then they did they my briefcase. They took everything out of my briefcase. This was part of the deal, and I'm just killing, wasting time. And I said, dude, I, you know, this guy's got a camouflage outfit on, a bandana, an AK-47. Pull him out. What, what's with me? And then, when she's through, she said, oh, pastor, I hope you have a nice trip. And I thought, oh, dear God, she goes to Summit. And this is her boyfriend, the other agent. I didn't know, but I was nice. I'm so glad I was. Darth Vader stayed at home that day. Whoa. I mean, who would know? The greatest thing about the gospel is it's not limited to some error of time. It's not limited to one culture. It's not limited to one race or group of people. Christianity will fit into any culture. In China, they have over 100 million—communist China, over 100 million Christians, but they can't do church like we do. They will be put in prison. Leaders would be beaten and taken away. So, they have to meet underground. They have to figure out inventive ways. They can't make too much noise, because they can take good news into a dark place, and it still works. But if you demand that God do it with a robed choir, or He does it this way, or this style, you're going to limit what God can do. He can adapt to any culture, and He did. That's what's really so cool about it. People sometimes split churches over choir robes or over a communion table. When they took communion in the New Testament, they had a goblet of wine, a small family of friends sitting around on the floor. They shared a common cup of wine with everybody, and they'd tear a piece of the bread off and throw it to the next guy. So if you really want to get biblical, we should just have one cup of wine. They didn't have grape juice. wine. They didn't have refrigeration, and they passed it around. How would you like to be the last person in here (laughs) to drink the backwash from that cup? They were all family. They were all friends. And they just shared a common cup with a small group. Now you, you have to adapt. So Paul says, as often as you do it, meaning you don't have to do it once a quarter. You can do it every day. You can do it at home. You can do it in a small group. You can do it in a, when the church all comes together. He doesn't tell you how, but some people get hung up on how you do it. Although there's no Scripture, he says, as often as you do it. Does that make sense? So, we try to do our best with a big group. I think it's once a quarter or something, but we encourage you to take it at home groups. Take it together, because that's perfectly biblical. You don't have to wait and come to this building to have communion, for goodness sake, right? Okay. I I don't want to waste time on it. Some older saints will walk in, and they see high tech. They see intelligent lighting. They see colored lights. They see all of the electrical technology and videos, and they say, what is the church coming to? You know, when they went to church, they were taught on flannel graph. Little Bible characters were stuck on felt. And then I remember when churches were arguing over worldliness when puppet ministries came to the church. I can remember when when, uh, the Charismatic Renewal started, and they started using overhead projectors with the words on them, and they didn't have hymn books. And people thought, we're going to hell because we don't have hymn books. Surely that must be in the Bible. Nope, it's not in the Bible. And so uh, you go to you Catholics, go to the cathedral and you see stained windows, and you have a picture of some saint or Mary or Jesus, and you'll have a verse of scripture. That was the first video screen. It, it didn't move, but it conveyed a message, right? That was high-tech in your day, but you're bothered about a modern tool that's audiovisual. The old cathedrals, they had no problem with it but now we get to do it a better way. We get the eye, and we get the ear. It's just so cool. Here's how, when I went to church, here's how they did announcements. Brother Earl's going to come now and bring the announcements. So, Brother Earl would waddle up on stage. He'd have his list, and he would mumble on about what's going. Nobody's listening, and, and it's on and on and on forever, and then Brother Earl sat down. When you do a video, you can put color, you can put music, you can you can even add video to it uh, from a movie or something to make it more current. You can entertain the people by making them watch and listen, and it holds their attention, and they always have a good attitude on the video. And no matter how many services you have, it's always on time. It's always happy. It just repeats itself. It's the coolest thing. Brother Earl won't do that. He'd be in a bad mood. He'd just not do well at all and go on and on and on and on, right? So, you work behind a computer screen all day. You watch TV at home. You do video games. When you come to church, you think there's something sacred about your old-time, old-fashioned junk. Now, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not as effective in reaching people today. That's our culture. Everybody's got a smartphone, an iPad. Almost nobody carries a Bible today. They've got it on your smartphone, unless you've got a flip phone. <laughs> can't believe I saw a flip phone. So whether it's a church or a business, don't make a method sacred. The only thing sacred is truth, not technology, not, not style of communication, not songs, truth. Truth is truth forever. But how you communicate that truth changes in every generation. It always does. So don't get hung up on a new style of music. Our kids listen to different music than we did. The church has different music today. I remember when the Gaithers kind of came into the church. You remember that? Put your hand in the hand of the man that's still the water, still the water. That was hot. That was hot. The marketplace is empty, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, the king is coming. Remember that? Well, that's what I was saying, please stop. But some people still worship there. But I'm trying to show you that in every generation that I've even lived in, it's changed. It still honors God. Same God, it's just a different style. And what we're trying to say is, don't make a monument out of an old past style, or you're stuck, and you can't embrace your future. Don't be selfish by hanging on to the past and penalizing the present generation. So, here's what the Bible says. I'm doing a new thing. I'll make you a new creation. Sing a new song unto the Lord. My blessings are new every morning. And it's always used in an optimistic, positive way. But it's always our human tendency to bog down and get stuck in time. Preachers do it. Churches do it. You can walk in and say, oh, boy, they got stuck. They're good people, but stuck. You know, quit telling 16 and 17-year-olds how much you miss them as little babies and holding them in your lap. They're going to look at you like you're afflicted and say, please, deal with it, mother. You know, I'm 17. I'm not going back in your lap. Stop talking to me like I'm a three-year-old. So we've got to keep growing as parents and grandparents and shifting with new seasons in our life and in the lives of our children. God's a God of new things. Every 24 hours, we get a new day. Every 31 days, a new month. Every 364 days, a new year. Every generation talks differently. My grandfather might say, God is wonderful. Our kids say, God's awesome. You know, my grandmother's favorite song was, I will meet you in the morning by the bright riverside, when all sorrow has drifted away. But our kids are singing with new groups and new kinds of songs, but to the same God. So, the fastest way to become irrelevant is to pick up a mantle to preserve old-time religion. Don't do it. And you can't preserve it. The new thing is going to run right over you anyway. And so, my prayer is, as time goes by, I'll keep changing with that time. Keep the truth, but adapt to the culture. I have to read reports by professionals who survey unchurched people to know how they think, what questions they're asking, and why. Because you and I and the closest friends I have don't think like unchurched people. We've been inside Christianity so long, we're out of touch with unchurched people. We don't even ask the same questions they do. And what's important to us may not be important to them. And I know, you know, God has marked the next generation to do greater things than our generation because we're part of an ever-growing eternal kingdom. So, it's not a whole lot about what I like or what I prefer. Here's an article from Ministry Today. In 1990, 52 million Americans attended a Christian church on any given weekend. Sixteen years later, attendance remained unchanged even though the U.S. population grew by 52 million people. That net increase was brought about by the birth of 68,500 babies, the arrival of 22,800,000 immigrants, minus the death of 39,600 Americans. So think about this. Ninety-one million of today's Americans did not live in our nation in 1990—91 million. More than 70 million of those new Americans are under 17 years of age. Imagine looking out over a sea of humanity that size, and Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 comes to my mind. I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the Lamb. How many of those 91 million new Americans will someday be in that great throng in heaven? See, that's up to us. Evangelical churches more than 40 years old are declining at 1% a year. Mainline churches are declining more than 2% a year. By 2020, just four more years, these churches will decrease by 20%. So, what's more important than what I like is that I stay current, all leaders stay current, fresh, and relevant, so you don't get stuck in some time warp. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of the church at large is. They try to preserve something that's not scriptural, that is not mandated to be preserved, doesn't need to be preserved. And it's sad to see denominations and leaders of past movements all down on their knees giving CPR to something God said is dead. When God says something's dead, don't even think about it anymore. It's over. God told Joshua chapter 1 verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Deuteronomy 34, verse 6, and God buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, and nobody knows his grave to this day. God didn't want him digging it up or making a monument to a past move when he used Moses. He said, he's dead, he's gone, and I'm not even going to tell you where I buried him. So, recognize the past is dead, and God doesn't want you digging up that old marriage, that old job, that old uh, whatever was good or whatever was bad. God doesn't want you to bury things that are dead. So, God said to this new leader, Arise, go over the Jordan to the land I am giving to the children of Israel. Verse 5, As I was Moses, so will I be with you. Here's what Paul says in the New Testament, Philippians 3, 13. Forget those things that are behind. Reach forth to those things that are in front. I press towards the goal. So, get an attitude of gratitude for today. This is the day God made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Maybe the old marriage didn't work out. Okay, get ready to embrace the new one. But if you keep worshiping at the shrine of what used to be, what you used to have, my best counsel would be to you. You could sit and cry and have tissues for four hours, and I could agree with you. This is wrong. That was terrible. The behavior. This is bad conduct. This is unscriptural. I could agree with you. But the condition still exists. He or she is gone. Now what are you going to do? Be penalized? They're happy out there, having fun. How about you? You're going to go on, or are you going to be crying over a tombstone, hugging something dead? No, no, no. You get yourself dolled up and ready for something new. God says, I'm going to do a new thing. I took away to establish, and when I establish, it's going to be better. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God says the thief will restore sevenfold. Your latter end going to be better than right now. You're present. God says the glory of the latter house will exceed the glory of the former house. My my best days are still ahead. Your best days are still ahead. But if you're clinging to the past, you'll never know what God could do. Your future's bright. It says, I'm going to here to do you good and not evil, to give you a hope and a future. But if you're holding to the past, how do you get that future? you got to move on. Matthew 9, verse 17, don't try to put new wine in an old wineskin. It will tear apart. And so, God says the packaging of anything God does that's new is going to change, and it won't fit in an old style. Uh, For some of you grape juice people, let me talk about wine. Old wine is mellow, better uh, bouquet, better smell. It's smooth. It's comfortable. We're accustomed to it. It's aged. It's mature. It's predictable. It's familiar. It's sophisticated. You can name it and label it. But new wine is sharp, strong, unpredictable, unsophisticated, and totally unfamiliar. So when you put something moving like this, because wine in the Bible days they had no refrigeration, in seven hours it would ferment. And as it fermented with bacteria, it gave off gases. And if the wine skin wasn't malleable and oiled like a new one, but it's stiff and brittle, it would rupture and break. So you can't bring a new thing God's doing and stick it in an old system. You've got to have a new wineskin for new wine. That's why Joel Osteen doesn't run his church like his father did. He's kept values and truth, but the style's completely different. And that's true of everybody. And it's going to be true of us. When I pass off the scene, the new generation will change some things. And those people still worshiping it a monument to the past will be the biggest hindrance to what God wants to do. So, don't make a monument out of the past. Embrace the new and move forward. We ask God to help us change, keep us fresh, and allow our presentation to change. So, help me get on page with the unchurched, with my teenagers, rather than staying stuck where I am. So tell God, God, I'm ready to change, I'm ready to adapt, I'm ready to adjust, so go ahead and do something fresh and new in my life. Some of you, your presence being negatively impacted by your unwillingness to adapt to change and accept and celebrate right now. Life has no rewind button. Wish it did. What's past is past, so let the past serve you. Don't serve the past. Take the good leave the bad. And thank God for a new and fresh day in your life. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.